G'day and welcome to another episode of Perth Property Insider. I'm your host, Jared Mann, and today I'm going through rent vesting versus home ownership. All the different factors, pros and cons, how to make both work for you. And it's going to be a great episode. So let's go inside. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management specialist servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here is your host, Jared Mann. So let's get stuck into the considerations that are important when deciding whether to go out and buy your own home to live or whether you rent somewhere and invest on the side. Now, I had to go and make this decision when I was starting out, just got my full-time job as an engineer, finally was earning you know, an okay income, had been thinking about buying my first property and had to weigh up, do I do that traditional route of home ownership? and live in there for a while or do i go and rent with a mate and start investing on the side now i went the way of rent investing but it is a very personal decision and i want to run through all the different factors to consider starting with your budget so when you sit down with a finance broker you'll find that you can typically borrow more for an investment property than you can for your home and i'm just talking top level borrowing capacity here so because you have that rental income from your tenant that counts towards increasing your borrowing capacity and you don't get that on your home and you can't count any other you know flatmates or borders or anything so usually you can borrow more for the investment property now that's providing that you have enough deposit to put down so the amount that you can borrow in itself by buying that investment over buying the home it can help you get into a better quality property if you can If you can borrow more for the investment, you can get into a better quality property, and that's likely to have better growth over the longer term. Now, if your deposit is limited, it's worth then looking deeper into the first home buyer incentives, and I'm going to cover off on them in a later section. So that can often help you buy at a higher price because you you don't have to come up with stamp duty. You can borrow at a higher loan-to-value ratio. So then if, you, if your deposit's limited, you need to go deeper into looking at what that's going to do for your budget when you take into account all these incentives. All things considered, it's really important to be trying to get into the best quality of property that you can afford because over the next five or 10 years after, the difference in growth, even at 1% or 2%, can be a big outcome when you compound that over 10 years. So personally, I think if you can't buy something at 400k or above now and i'm talking to you uh, then it's best to keep saving or speak to your parents about being a guarantor to help out with which basically means that they sit and put security over the loan as well so that if you ever defaulted the bank has a claim against them it's a lot to ask of your parents so don't take it for granted but it could be an option for helping you you know get that higher borrowing capacity earlier and there's nothing wrong with having to save for a few years. I saved virtually from the time I was 16 to 22, 23, 24, you know, saved really hard to get into my first few properties. And when I did buy my first investment property, 
I went 50-50 with my parents and they contributed equity and I contributed some towards costs and renovations and things. So partnering up is another way of helping increase your budget, whether that be for investment or for your home. Think about whether you've got an alignment of purpose and goals and how long that is going to be for because it is costly getting in and out of properties. So that's going to, having a parents potentially help out and the guarantor is going to help and likely mean that if you if you can't borrow at least and afford at least 400k the reason i say that is not to be snobby or or um you know judgmental on price what reason i'm saying that is that if you're below 400 you're gonna have to go really far out of the city and and or you're gonna have to look at higher density apartments or units and you know the kind of growth that you're going to get on either of those options is going to be very limited could actually hamper you if it goes backwards and uh, things can be a lot more volatile in those types of markets too so demand can drop off prices can slide we've seen it all too well over the last 10 years so i would really be shooting for at least 400 preferably 450 if you can get up there can be very difficult when you're a single and you're starting out so Really look at trying to get that budget up to get into as best quality that you can, whether it be for home or investment. Now, it can be cheaper to rent in the shorter term. So that's a big factor to consider. Now, with rising interest rates, that's tipping even more towards renting in the sh- over the shorter term. But over the longer term, you know, I'm going to run through that in a minute, but it starts to become more economical to own your own home. But in the short term, when rents, even with rents going up, by the time you add on council rates, maintenance, and your principal loan payments, which usually by default you have to make when you're buying a home, you can find that the costs outweigh the rent that you'd otherwise have to pay, and it can be by quite a lot. So it can be shorter in the shorter term, it can be cheaper to rent and own that investment property on the side that doesn't take as much to up to uh, anywhere near as much to upkeep because you've got a tenant helping pay for it. And it's worth noting that there is the option of paying interest only, usually for a five-year period on either your home loan or your investment property. But it is also possible on your home loan. That can take out the principal component and just help with that you know, shorter-term affordability over the first five years. And you can always look to refinance if you, absolutely, if you have to and you've still got you know, good financials to do that. So the other thing to note is that the higher up you go in price, the lower the rental yield and the cheaper it's going to be to rent versus buy, which is a bit of a no-brainer. So the, you know, if you end up buying something at 700k, it's not going to rent out. You're going to have a much bigger gap you know, on what you need to pay and that needs to be factored into. So, And all of this means that while renting, you should be able to put the cash flow towards savings and investing and buying that future house. You should, from a cash flow viewpoint, have a bit more when you're renting out. The next factor is when we then go over the longer term, owning your own home becomes comparably cheaper. So why is that? Now, as you'd see already, and it's easier to see it these days, but Everything continues to rise with inflation, and that includes rents and property prices. And and in five to 10 years, you'll usually find that because you've locked in your purchase price, inflation's been working away, and the borrowing amount 
will then become cheaper compared to rents in the market and your monthly cash flow is going to be a lot easier to own versus rent in that case. And once you've got a bit of equity in your property, you're usually able to go back and renegotiate your interest rates on your home loan. And uh, that's because the bank sees you as less risk. So the lower your loan to value ratio, you're able to generally go and get a lower interest rate. So owning your own home becomes cheaper comparatively to renting over the long term because of inflation, increasing everything else and hopefully leaving your repayments relatively the same. Hopefully your, your wages increasing, rents in the outside world are increasing for everyone else and owning that home becomes comparatively more affordable. So don't just look at the upfront that it's cheaper often to rent than own. It does swing back the other way and you've got to start somewhere. So let's go into these first home buyer benefits because there's a number of benefits that can really help you get into the market sooner, which are not available if you're buying an investment property. So the first one is that you have no transfer duty to pay on your first home up to the value of 430000 The other word for transfer duty is stamp duty. And this lesser duty, there's lesser duty payable thereafter. So the, the scale is not, not as much for a general property either. So don't be necessarily afraid of paying over 430. You're still paying way less than you would have done if you weren't a first home buyer. So the savings of transfer on transfer duty is $14,440 on a 430,000 purchase. And that applies whether it's established or new. So big savings to be made that can really help you get in sooner. Now that one of the other benefits is if you build new or buy brand new, you can get the first time owner's grant of $10,000. That can really help you contribute towards your savings that you have as well. Of course, there's trade-offs in buying new and you can listen to some of our other episodes where you know you can have a lot of land supply in those newer areas. Infill's certainly a better option than going and buying in a new land estate that's going to have land coming on forever because in those areas it's going to keep prices uh, subdued and any benefit that you get from your first homeowner's grant of 10000 will quickly be you know, dropping the bucket and outweighed by the better growth that you would have got in an infill area had you not opted for new and gone with established and said so just be wary of chasing the shiny objects of new and thinking that you get your ten thousand and that everything's rosy look at where the location is and where you're actually buying that house so the next thing here is the first home buyer's deposit scheme and this can enable you to borrow up to 95 percent without paying lenders mortgage insurance so another massive saving when you borrow over 80 percent you have to pay lenders mortgage insurance that can be, you know, as much as ten to fifteen grand at at ninety and ninety five percent, really adds up. So the first home buyer's deposit scheme, really another big saving which can be made, and it doesn't matter whether the property is new or established. They only have certain places, a number of these that the banks, the the government's basically guaranteeing to the bank that you're not going to default in the place of the normal lender's mortgage insurance that would guarantee it. That's why you don't have to pay that lender's mortgage insurance to borrow up to that 95% level. Now, just beware that certain banks like Keystart usually have a higher interest rate attached to borrowing at this sort of level, at this higher level, 
because there is extra risk and they need to price it in. So it'll likely make sense to refinance to a lower interest rate loan once you get enough equity or enough savings in to qualify with a mainstream lender. And it can give you, once you get it down to, you know, 80%, you've had a bit of growth, you put a bit of savings in there, you know, you can really help your cash flow by refinancing elsewhere. And Keystart's great because it gives people their start and without it, many people wouldn't be getting into a home. But again, keep your head up and looking at your interest rate when you can look to refinance if possible. So just because you buy an investment property over a home, you don't obviously get these incentives. But if you did go the way of buying an investment property, you could still come and qualify for these things later if you decided to then buy your home later. So you may still, you still and should still be able to qualify for these things. We don't think that just because you opt for the investment that you're, you're going to miss out entirely. Now, what a lot of people do is mix up home ownership and then rent vesting. So they use the first home buyer benefits to buy that higher price property that they couldn't otherwise get into. They get in the market sooner, which is definitely good when hopefully the next two to three years, I expect there to be further price rises. And they get some housemates on a casual basis, informal sort of basis to help out with their mortgage. And they stay there for, you need to stay in for a minimum of six months and check the requirements. This is as I understand them to be before moving out to qualify for that first time owners grant. And you have to, and zeros, you know, no stamp duty. And you have to move in at least some point during the first 12 months. Otherwise, you can find that you'll have to pay the stamp duty if you, you know, don't stick to the, all the requirements. So don't take what I'm saying here as the 100% accuracy. Check everything. And depending on the time you listen to it, these things can change. So they then move out and at some point look at making it a rental property. So it's helped them get in. At usually that point, you might be able to refinance to go interest only at that point with a main tier bank lower interest rate and rent it out. You've had all the incentives and other things to get in and you've mixed it up. So the downside is that even though you might have housemates helping you on an informal basis, the bank doesn't count that income or that house board that you get towards your borrowing capacity. So unlike when you're buying an investment property, account a tenant's income that you're getting, tenant's rent that you're getting towards your income, but not when you've got housemates on the informal basis. So next thing is to consider your needs that you're going to have at your various life stages because until having gone through these, I never even knew or thought about for a second that my needs were going to change. And you have specific needs depending on how old you are and where you're at with your health, with your overall family formation. So when you're just starting out, flexibility, you'd have to think, is the main need. So if you're young and you don't want to be tied down, you want ultimate flexibility for your home. You want to do travel. You want to do other stuff. You want to change the where you live maybe every year or two. You want to, you know, sample all the different lifestyles across Perth. Well, you know, when I was growing up, I lived in lots of different places and I'm great time of my life. So, you know, it's great to try out all these different areas. And when you're doing that, often when you're living in higher density, it doesn't usually make a good investment. 
So for the reasons I mentioned earlier, we just don't have the uniqueness. You've got oversupply. You're probably not going to see the growth in it. So it's going to make more sense to rent. Now, when I was in my early 20s, I lived in an apartment in Subiaco. I then lived in a unit in Northbridge. Uh, and it was great because I was close to work in the CBD. I got to you know easily enjoy the nightlife, plenty of takeaway food options because I couldn't cook very well at that stage. I could walk to almost everything, which is great when you've been having a few drinks on a Friday and Saturday, and it made for a great lifestyle for that stage of my life, but would not make for a great investment. So better that I rented instead of bought there, that is for sure. Now, what's the next stage that you might often find yourself going through? Well, finding a partner is fabulous if they're the right one. And you, as a byproduct of that as well, if you're both working, you can have two incomes and all of a sudden open up a whole new range of, you know, borrowing capacity and what you can both afford together. That's an exciting period, especially if you don't have kids yet, you know, adding costs to things. So getting a partner and then having those two incomes really boosts your borrowing capacity and your options. And most couples want to buy a home together that they can you know decorate and make their own so it's worth considering renting together for a few years and i did this with my partners as i was seeing if it's all going to work it's a great way to have a trial run and see if it is right before you go making that big commitment of jointly owning a home so once you're you've tried things out it's not only just trying out how you live together, it's trying out if you like the area and if it's going to suit your needs. And you really need to think about you know, how serious is this relationship and are you going to look at starting a family soon because that's going to change the type of property that you're going to want to live in. There's no point you know, buying a really small unit and then deciding that you're going to have a, have a baby and all of a sudden you're, you're going to be changing your needs very rapidly. Now, Worth remembering that it's a lot easier if the worst happens and you separate to break a lease than it is to sell a house. So unfortunately, you know, separations happen and nothing, you know, it really hurts when you've got a house together and it's just an extra layer of complications. So the next stage of things is having a family. So you found that partner, you might have rented or owned a property together, and then you need to start thinking about you having your first child or you've had your first child. You start thinking about a whole range of things that are important that you've never thought of before. And I certainly hadn't thought of these. So you really want stability. You want to own your own home because it's going to give you security that you won't have to move if your lease is not renewed and you can get settled. And you can make modifications. So a house really does become a home suitable for your family when you can modify it in the exact ways you want and, you know, dress up your girl's bedroom and put up different things, change it around and, you know, upgrade kitchens and bathrooms or whatever and, you know, really customize it to your needs. Can't do that in a rental property. So that's, I just found that renting wasn't going to gel with having a family for me even though many people do it and it's a choice that many people also make but for me the pull towards home ownership certainly uh, got a lot harder when i was having a family pulling me towards it now the other last one which i never considered was school catchments 
Now, although you can still access grade school catchments via renting, owning ensures you can have a stable place in a school catchment. And if you want to be, especially in um, you know a popular school catchment, it can be very tough to find a rental in those areas, especially now. So owning in there guarantees your place and uh, that you're not going to have to move. So lots of reasons then start becoming apparent when you're having a family more towards the home ownership side instead of rent vesting. The next thing to notice and think about is the cost of changing homes. So one benefit of home ownership over rent vesting is that you have no capital gains tax to pay when selling your family home and it's a big saving and we don't get that when selling an investment. So you still have your entry and exit costs. So your stamp duty is the biggest one when you're entering and your sales agent is the biggest one when exiting. And it's going to be around uh, 5% when you're purchasing, 2 to 3% when you're exiting. So 7 to 8%, it does add up to change over. So that's why it's really good to get clear on what your needs are and uh, you know if it's going to how long it's going to suit you before you go jumping in but the one benefit there you're not paying capital gains tax when you sell your home so if you think it's going to be a short-term living situation two to three years or less then you'd maybe better off renting yeah sure you, you don't get to make all those customizations and all the rest of it but if you can still get into the school catchment that you want still take a longer lease for two years or three years to give you that stability and you only see yourself staying there that long it's a lot of changeover costs to pay if you're not going to be there at least five or ten years in my opinion you'll want to be trying to stay there that long so final consideration here is that you can use your property investment to buy your home so nothing is forever you start out rent vesting you build up your equity you invest in property to try to you know improve your overall life and many people including myself have used their property investments at different points to make that next upgrade of their home possible i certainly wouldn't have been able to do it without having first created some wealth with my investing and then fed that back around to my home and this may mean selling at different points to realize equity from that investment property that can't all be refinanced out to then have lesser debt on the family home, but ideally you would keep your investment property working for you. So we've kept our first family home as an investment. And if we upgrade again, I'll be trying to look at keeping our current home in Wembley as well and you know, not paying those changeover, the, the sale costs. And, and if I was going to add another property to our investment portfolio, I'd have to pay stamp duty and entry costs too. So why not try to keep the family home if possible? Instead of paying down the loan, what I do along the way is just park money and offset. So then if it does become the investment later, you just pull all that money out, put it in, out of your offset, put it into the new family home so you've got less debt on the new place. And then that way... You've got a ideally set up property for investment. So it doesn't have to be one way or the other. Today, we've spoken about the pros and cons of each and that you can actually mix things up using your first homeowner grant and incentives first and then renting out after six months or so. We've also looked at you know making sure that you're committed and the uh, and because of those changeover costs really uh, eat into things and that it's going to be a longer term 
something that you, where you're going to live longer term. And we've also looked at finally how do you you know use your investments to change over and fund the the, the dream home. So that's why a lot of people, if you can't get your dream home initially, a lot of people do just rent, work their way up, build up their wealth, and then roll it into the family home when they when they can get that dream. So I think if you're asking yourself this question, there's no right or wrong to either rent vesting or buying a home. And ultimately, the most important thing is that you've done one or the other because you're going to be likely better off than just sitting outside, sitting you know, on the sideline, especially when you, you know, add up the compounding on property over five or 10 years, whether you've rent vested or bought a home, you've still done something. So thanks for tuning in. Just a reminder, the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature, as we don't know your specific situation. You should always seek professional advice before taking any action. For free market reports on your suburbs of interest and other helpful resources to grow your wealth, make sure you join my property investor update at investorsedge.com.au slash join. And finally, make sure you're a member of our Perth Property Investment Facebook group. To be part of the conversation with other like-minded investors, get help to your questions and get a feel for what's going on out there in the market. I'll see you in the group.